0: Would you open your Bibles to this morning, to the book of Acts chapter 19. We're going to continue on our, uh, what we started last week, and I really want you to know that I enjoyed our time last week. I think God did some things that we didn't expect and didn't anticipate, and that's really cool when that happens. Um, it's not bad when he does things we do expect, <laughs> but it is it is neat when he just exceeds our expectations, and he's always able to do that. So... Turning to Acts 19, I want us to pick up with that thought and with what kind of the thrust of last week was this. If you weren't here, I'll try. We'll try to recap some without rehashing everything. But really, one of the ideas and one of the realities, as we talked about earlier in the service, that most of us are aware of, is the fact that uh, you know society around us, the culture around us, is not moving in a very good direction. I think that's pretty obvious, don't you think? We talk about the phrase that's become kind of in vogue these days, that I want to be on the right side of history. But that phrase presumes that history is moving in the right direction, that culture is moving in the right direction. Uh, We may be on the wrong side of history to the people that are writing the history books in the next decade, in the next century, I don't know. We may not look like the people we think we're going to look like to them, But ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what history writes. It doesn't matter what people think. It only matters what the master thinks. And he's the only guy you're really going to have to answer to at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. Come on. You're going to have to answer to him for what you did with what he gave you. Come on now. For your faithfulness, for your obedience, for how you served him. And by serving him, you served others. And so this is the reality of our time is that culture does not look like it's heading in a good direction. How many of you are aware of the fact that, that you know, if, if you were given a choice that your kid said, let me, let's me let watch an oldie, let's watch a movie from the 50s, or let's watch a movie from 2017, you would assume, now you may not be right, but you'd assume that the movie from the 50s would be cleaner, right? That would be the assumption because culture's gone in a direction. It's kind of departed from Judeo-Christian values. It's it's departed from a certain morality that that, uh, maybe the people in this country held for a while. We also know this, that morality by itself is not necessarily godliness. Morality is good, but uh, there can be sinful morality as much as there's sinful immorality. which Sinful morality is is a form of self-righteousness. It's a form of saying, I'm living a good life, so therefore I'm good to God. We know that 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 kind of righteousness still falls short of the glory of God. Paul said, my prayers for my brethren that they would be saved. For seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have neglected the righteousness of God, which is by faith. And so you can't just live by a nice morality and a nice tradition and expect that that's going to be life-giving. It is in some way, and we, we understand this, that, that the scripture says righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. So we understand that the further society moves from God's standard, the worse off they are. We see the result of that. We see the result of the goals that culture has laid out. The goals of saying this, if you have this, you'll be happy. If you have this, you'll be satisfied. And yet the people that get it are the most unhappy people in in our society. So we know that that's not true. And I think everybody on the planet on some level knows that's not true, but we still you know, if they don't have an alternative, if they don't really know what they're looking for, they'll go down the same path over and over and over again. The Bible says that the spirit of the world is modeled after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You guys know if you study Genesis that those were the three, uh, three original sins that were right in the garden. Look at this. Doesn't it look good? Lust of the eyes. Wouldn't it taste good? Lust of the flesh. And if you ate it, wouldn't you be wise like God? Pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Satan brings it up to Jesus in the wilderness. Offers him these things. Says, look at this. Look at all the glory. Look. Doesn't this look amazing? It could all be yours. Appeals to his flesh and says, hey, if you just turn this, bread into, or this rock into bread, you could eat. Aren't you hungry? Appeals to his pride. Says, don't you think if you were to throw yourself off this temple that God would catch you? Why don't you just try it? But Jesus responded to those things, not with saying, "I those are bad and I don't like bad things. Jesus responded to these temptations with not just the opposite of bad, but with the righteous word of God by saying, no, this is written. It's written like this. This is what God has said. And ultimately, as believers in an unsaved, ungenerated, unregenerated culture, we've got to say not just, I know that's wrong, I know that's bad. We've got to at some point say, we've got to be more about the light then we are just not darkness. Do you know what I mean? We can't live a reality where we just say, I don't want to be dark. I don't want to be dark. I don't want to be dark. Because that that doesn't do anything. We've got to be people of light. And last week as we went through Acts chapter 19, we discovered uh, uh, Paul's original uh, disciples in Ephesus. And you guys know, that when he first went, and this is before Acts 19, he first went with Priscilla and Aquila, and they arrive in Ephesus. And there's a great harbor in Ephesus that, you, that was, at that point, a little bit man-made because it was just a stream, and the, the silt and the sand had filled it up so that you couldn't get a boat in. So they'd actually dug it out so that you could get the big ships in, you could make it a big port. And as Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul pulled up to the harbor, they would have origi- uh, first thing had to go to the bathhouse to get clean, and stuff happened in the bathhouse that we don't want to talk about. And then they got back on the Acardian, they got back on that main stretch of shops and, and displays and merchants. And they get to the end of it, they get to the great theater where thousands of people could sit in this theater. It was that theater that later, was we're about to read, Alexander was dragged in front of the people. If you were to turn left at the theater, you'd get to the stadium where the gladiators killed one another for sport. People gathered, thousands of people, to watch these people be slaughtered. The gladiators, at least it was a fair fight, but then sometimes they would just throw prisoners. They'd sew them up in animal clothing, and then they'd sick wild beasts on them and see what would happen. It was in that stadium that later Christians themselves would be put to public display. Paul talked about it, talked about being put on public display. In fact, you see him write about the fact that, that we are a spectacle to the world. We're something to, that they might look and, and, and mock and laugh at, but, but thank God, we're the aroma of Christ to God. If you went the other direction from the theater, you'd end up at the market. Where the market was, there was a tolos at the, at the middle, which was an altar that you would sacrifice to any sort of God you wanted to. And it was tradition that every merchant, every time they came to work, would first go to the Tolos and offer sacrifices to their gods or goddesses. Throughout the day, if you felt like business was going bad or you needed it to ratchet up a little bit, you'd take a break, go back, offer some more sacrifices. If you were to take one of the gates out of that market, you'd end up at the mysterious, dark temple of Serapis. An Egyptian temple. Serapis was known as the husband of Isis. This temple was so dark and demonic that you could not know much about what went inside unless you were initiated. But once you got inside, it was devoted to a God of death, of sexual immorality, and a lot of other stuff that we don't need to talk about. But stuff took place in that temple that invited a level of demonic activity in Ephesus that I don't think you saw in in as many other places in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was messed up, but Ephesus was probably more messed up than most of them. It may be why in Acts chapter 19 Paul is doing these miracles and the Bible says extraordinary miracles took place. They may have had to be extraordinary because look, look at what was extraordinary about them. People were being delivered from evil spirits. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Even sometimes by the handkerchief that Paul had. There were people, if you look at what it says, it says sicknesses, diseases, and evil spirits. And if you look at those different words, there's a type of sickness that they talk about that the Greeks talked about that was a type of sickness that only, they couldn't understand it. They only assumed it was a form of spiritual oppression. So somebody was so spiritually oppressed that they could not get well no matter what they did. But when Paul came along and preached the gospel, And the disciples gathered, and and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila had been preaching there. The gospel began to take root, and people were becoming radically delivered. Maybe it was extraordinary because it was so extraordinarily dark that the light itself was extraordinary. Now, here's the the question we have to ask. Is society becoming darker? Yeah, it is. Does that mean that the gospel can't prevail? No, absolutely not. We don't believe that. I also don't believe it's it's an either or. I don't believe that it has to be that everybody's just going to become nice before Jesus comes back. It may get darker than it's ever been, but it can get darker than it's ever been at the same time that it's becoming lighter than it's ever been. These things aren't necessarily in opposition. The light will pierce the darkness. I want to give you an example real quick before we dig in. When Peter preached, he preached on the day of Pentecost. The Bible tells us, and what did he say? He said, he, he, he not only preached the gospel, but afterwards when these people were coming and saying we want to be converted, he said, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Now, I know that you know you had to be saved from hell, right? You guys know that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> just making sure, sure. God, sure, okay. We may need to go back a few steps. All right, we know we needed to be saved from hell. Thank God we were. That salvation from hell was a moment of regeneration, being born again. But the salvation from our culture, from our generation, is a process of renewing the mind, of changing your life. It's a process of sanctification that God wants to bring you to, and you can resist that process or you can submit to that process. You can say, no, I want to fit in. I'd rather have good relationships at work. I'd rather have uh, my family not, not hate me. I'd rather have my friends think I'm the same old person just with a new thing I do on the weekends. But that's not the life God's called you to, and that life breeds death. So he says, be saved from a wicked and perverse generation. He's talking about culture. Then he begins to admonish them and teach them. And the Bible says that people came to him and it pierced their hearts. And when it pierced to their hearts, they fell to the knees and said, what must we do to be saved? Praise God. Isn't that wonderful that their hearts were pierced? It, it went past their cultural preconceptions. It went past their head. It hit them right in the heart. Now, it didn't. doesn't mean they weren't paying attention. It doesn't mean God didn't speak to their head. But there's a lot of layers of prejudice that He had to get through. This is the very city that crucified Jesus. And he pierced him to the heart, and they repented. But not long after, Stephen preaches a wonderful message. And in this message, he goes back. He goes all the way back to Moses. He goes all the way back and shows the hand of God. Because Stephen was accused, right? You guys know what he's accused of? Blasphemy. Desecrating the temple and blasphemy of Moses and the law. So what does he do? He goes back through history and he says, guys, God was around before Moses. God was around before the law. And God tends to show up, not just in the temple. Have you noticed he, he can't be contained in a temple made by human hands? And he paints this picture and he tells them the gospel from the very Old Testament all the way to the present. And it says they're cut to the quick. Now I believe, you can have your own opinion, but I believe cut to the quick and pierced to the heart are pretty close to the same thing. But instead of repenting, they get angry, they cover their ears, they yell, they, they tug on their hair, they gnash their teeth, and they put them to death. What's the difference? It's the same heart-piercing message, but they harden their heart rather than softening their heart. Mm-hmm. And I want to just say this for this purpose. I believe when the gospel really takes root in a community, you're going to see people soften their heart and Repent. And you're also going to see some people harden their heart and get angry. If you're not comfortable with both of those things, then let's just have a nice little church and a nice little community that never bugs anybody. But that's not what Jesus is looking for. So you wonder why it might get darker and lighter at the same time. It's because people have to make a choice. The whole period of Canada's history where people didn't make much of a choice. I can't judge where their hearts were. Only God can do that. But I know that there's a whole bunch of people, if you phoned them and said, what religion are you? They said, well, I'm not Muslim. My granddaddy was Presbyterian. I'm Presbyterian. But there was no conviction in their heart. They just were kind of nominally Christian because that was society's norm. That was cool. Well, I'm, I don't know if you have paid attention. It's not as cool to be a Christian anymore. But that's okay. Because now you got people that are choosing Jesus for Jesus. Right? Mm-hmm. They're choosing him. They're, they're, they're wanting him. They're desiring him. They're opening their eyes and their ears. And people are being saved. And this is a good thing. In Acts chapter 19, let's dig right in. We talked last week about the seven sons of Skeva and, and, and their folly. How these Jewish exorcists had tried to mix Judaism with paganism. We talked about how the Ephesian Christians took their scrolls, took their books of magic and tossed them in a great big bonfire in front of all their neighbors and made a clear divide and said, we're not of that anymore. The Ephesian letters were known throughout the whole empire. Ephesian letters were the, were the names of these codes and, and, and combination of numbers and letters that were part of their spells. Highly valued and the more money you had, the more you bought. And the more you bought presumably, the better you did. These people relied on this for their businesses. They relied on it for their relationships. And when they got saved, they did a couple of things. They confessed and disclosed their practices. They fully just said, I'm done with this. This is what I used to do. I want you to know this is what I used to do. I'm not doing that anymore. And in public sight, they burned their scrolls. They burned these books of magic, which came out to 50,000 pieces of silver, 50,000 drachmas. That's a lot of money. Now watch what happens. This is where we left off with this word. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's the verse I want us to hang on to today. That's the verse I want to to, to see in Lloyd Minster, that the word of the Lord would grow mightily and would prevail. What does prevail mean? To win. Now, what does winning look like? We might think that winning means you get the whole government on your side, but that's not what happened in Ephesus. We might think that winning means everybody just finally gets gets on board and says, you guys are nice. But that's not what happened. Winning meant... That those evil forces of darkness that had taken such deep root began to break down, be turned to chaos. That people were coming to the Lord and making a clear divide from the sorcery and paganism and idolatry that they came from. They turned to a living Savior. Prevailing also meant that uh, some people were mad. Because when the gospel prevails, people get mad. Don't you know that? You know that, right? said this before but what do you think when I say I'm fighting a battle right now what do you assume being I'm being attacked right something happened to me and it's not good that could be the case but we as believers are by nature of supposed to be the church It's supposed to be an offensive force uh, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that's it right. Hell's not bringing its gates to your walls. You're going to its walls. So we are, by nature, supposed to be offensive, and I don't mean offensive as in just jerks. I mean moving forward. Jesus said the kingdom of God is rapidly advancing. The violent take it by force. So we're not supposed to be living a reactionary, defensive existence where we're just hoping that our kids don't see bad shows. We just want to keep, that cartoon has a, has, had, had a guy that had an evil face, and I swear he was purple, and that means he's gay. I mean, come on, guys, we got we to gotta live in a reality that says it's not, I mean, thank God, protect your kids. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Protect your kids, guard their eyes, and guard their hearts, because, you know, that purity, that innocence, is one of the most valuable things they have. Don't get me wrong there. I'm saying it's got to be more than that. We can't just be living defensive, reactionary, hope they don't come into our doors kind of, kind of existence. We are partakers of the grace of life. We are, we're ministers of reconciliation. Yes. Guys, this is our mission. Yes. This is our purpose. This is our life. This is something worth dying for. It's something worth living for. So what would it look like if the word grew mightily in Lloyd Minster and prevailed? I think it would mean that some people had to make choices. It brings people to the point where they say, I can't stay neutral anymore. I believe it would be people radically turning from one lifestyle and turning to another. Yeah. Is that all right with you? Yeah. But the word will only grow mightily and prevail in our city when it grows mightily and prevails in us. That's right. The word can't grow mightily in you and prevail in you, it will not prevail in Lloydminster. Yeah. The way it prevailed in Ephesus was it prevailed in the believers. Look what it says here. After these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of those who'd ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing No little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. So their prosperity depended on uh, idolatry, depended upon darkness. So there's whole industries today that depend upon darkness, right? That if the gospel prevails in certain communities, there's some people going to be out of work for a bit. They got to find a new job, Mm -hmm. right? At least that's the hope. I'd love to see some casinos shut down because their customers just stopped coming. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not because a bunch of people picketed outside of their doors for five years, but because people just got delivered from that. <laughs> that need to gamble, that grasping, that, that, that idolatry of saying, I, you know, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get rich. What if that dried up? Yes. So Demetrius is worried. He says, guys, our prosperity depends on this business. He's a silversmith, so he makes gods and, and little idols. Of course, we said this last week, but the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. So Artemis was their bread and butter. People came all over to worship Artemis. And the stuff that would happen at the Temple of Artemis was similar to what would happen at the Temple of Serapis. It was deeply perverted deeply immoral. Guys, if you look right now, and and I know we tend to do this, we we look around and go, wow, things have changed a lot in the last eight years, 10 years, 15 years. They really have, especially in the areas of of sexuality and and gender and identity. All of these things have really changed rapidly. Mm -hmm. But it's still not as twisted as it was with these guys. With these guys, there was stuff upset, uh, just uh, accepted in the open space that we still, still, in our culture, is kept in the darkness. So don't worry. Light pierces darkness. Yes. The gospel wins. God's not afraid of the dark, right? Don't, don't accept it, but don't worry about it. Because the gospel wins. And here's what happens. Not only is there danger that this great trait of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. That's what the enemies of the gospel are saying. Oh, I wish we would have such confidence. Wish we would have that confidence that, that, the, that, the, that the people in darkness have. Look at look what the enemies of the gospel say. guys, If they keep preaching this, nobody's going to worship this goddess anymore. this, This goddess that all of Asia and all the world worship is going to be dethroned from her magnificence. Absolutely, amen. Then he says, when they heard this, in verse 28, they were filled with rage and they began crying out saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they'd come together. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds fun. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. Having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours of shouting that. Come on, guys, we get bored singing the same song for five minutes. Two hours they shout, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. That's how riled up they are. That's how afraid they are that the gospel is winning. It's prevailing. It's taking ground. It's moving forward. It's moving broader. And after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all? Who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and the image which fell down from heaven? So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available, let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in con- connection with today's events. Since there's no real cause for it, and this connection will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering, After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. The reason I read his little speech is this. You'll notice that he said, these men are not robbers or desecrators of our temple, Mm -hmm. nor blasphemers of our goddess. Why is that important? We know that Paul said, God's made with hands are no gods at all. I think they're right quoting him that because he said that to the Athenians as well. But did you notice that the Christians didn't spend all their time trying to knock down the worship of Artemis? They spent their time preaching Jesus. Mm -hmm. They didn't spend their time robbing the temples, burning the temple's goods in the public square. Do you know what they did? They brought their own. They were not so focused on, on, we gotta just stop people from doing this as they were of preaching the gospel and demonstrating the light of the gospel. And when they did that, the whole thing fell apart on its own. So the town clerk could stand up and say, hey, guys, they haven't walked into our temples and took stuff. They haven't, they haven't spent their time in the public square blaspheming our goddesses. They're, they're, they're doing their thing. And I agree, it's prevailing, but they haven't broken any laws. And I want you to see something that, that Paul writes to them in Ephesians chapter 5. Because you have to know, how do I stand as a light in a dark place? How do we stand against the the aggressive immorality of a culture that we find ourselves in? Well, it's like Paul said to the Philippian church, you got to hold fast to the word of life. Shining like stars in a dark universe. You've got to say, we're holding fast to life. We're holding fast to Jesus. We're holding fast to the truth we have. We're not going to let ourselves be swayed. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God. As a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed. Now listen. It's important that he named these three things. These are three things that you'd stay away from as a Christian anyways, but these are three things that are predominant in Ephesus. That word immorality there is actually a word that's pretty much exclusively used in the Greek language for sexual immorality. Why? Because sexual perversion had become mainstream culture. So he has to address it. Guys, don't let it even be named among you. That impurity usually speaks of an idolatry. Don't let that be named among you. Don't let greed be named among you. Let None of these things be named among you. Watch this. As is proper among saints. Listen to that. That word proper could be used uh, fitting, appropriate. Why has he used that phrase? Why does he say that? Because he's reminding them that they are not just Ephesians trying to live a good life. They are now saints. Their identity has been changed. If you read Ephesians 1 through 4, you find him laying the case that we are now in Christ. We're not who we used to be. We are a completely different people. We've been raised up and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are not dirty, awful people trying our best. We have now been made by the blood of Jesus, saints, holy and righteous. So we talk about authenticity. What does authenticity look like to you? I know some people that'll, that'll purposely go out of their way to use language or, or do things that, that would not make them stand out too much because they want to prove to everybody, hey, I'm being real. You know what I mean? I'm being real. I don't want to be one of those plastic Christians, man, who just like, you know, acts nice and has a plastic smile. So don't have a plastic smile. So don't be fake. Be sincere. Be real. But let me ask you a question. What's real for you? Because he says immorality, impurity, and greed must not be named among you because it's not proper among saints. Your reality before you were a saint was that all of that stuff fit it all was fine, it all fit who you were, but you're not that person anymore. So the problem is, is not that we're not being real, but that we're we're, we're afraid of the reality sometimes of what it would really look like for us to just embrace the fact that we're saints, and this is how saints live, and this is how saints talk, and this is how saints love, because it looks like Jesus. So he says, this doesn't fit you anymore. It's not It's not appropriate for you guys anymore because that's not who you are. Then he goes on. He says this. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. You notice that? It doesn't fit you anymore. It used to fit you. It doesn't fit you anymore. Can you imagine being in that city, one of the most perverse cities in the Roman Empire, the gateway to Asia Minor? The place where all sorts of different cults and, 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 and spiritual activities were taking place, the, the city where open sexual promiscuity and perversion were being taking, were taking place in the streets. Timothy, as an old man, was killed in the streets of Ephesus for rebuking the priests of Artemis from. Dancing wildly and provocatively in the middle of the streets where kids were and everybody else was. So, old man Timothy says, Hey guys, don't do that anymore. And they beat him to death right there in the street. This was what was embraced in their city. And so, Paul says, Be who you are. You are a saint. Who you used to be doesn't fit anymore. But he never just tells you what not to do, he always tells you, Instead, give thanks. Then he says this. For you know this with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't just say you have light. He says, you are light. I love that. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now listen, this is not faking it. This is not trying your best to act like a Christian. This is letting what's inside of you be a reality. Paul said, adorn your doctrine, wear what you believe, live out, work out the salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Hallelujah. So here he says, you are light. Just walk like it. This is what Jesus will do. He will redefine your identity. He will show you who you really are. Then he'll say, now be who you really are. It's like convincing a bird that could never fly that it can fly. That it's a bird that was created not only with the ability to fly, but the purpose to fly. And then the creator witnessed just whispering in that bird's ear, now fly. You may have walked around all your life because your wings were clipped. You may have walked around all your life because you were not a bird that could fly, but now you are just fly. Why do you walk around in the dirt when you could be flying? My friend Matthew and I, well, brother in law now, Matthew and I, we were in uh, Bush Gardens amusement park in Williamsburg, Virginia. And there was a whole section devoted to America, like really patriotic. And they had a golden eagle. That's pretty, that's pretty American, right? A nice golden eagle, big golden eagle. But they had clipped its wings. And I thought, I don't think this is a good representation of America. It was a nice big golden eagle just walking around. It was the saddest thing I think I've ever seen. This thing was created to fly, it was created to live, created to soar. I mean, this is not just something it does, like, that's its main thing. And You look at the poor things just walking around. Isn't that sad? It's not, it's not our reality. Come on, guys, we got to wake up to righteousness, we got to realize that. It's not wrong for a penguin to walk around. That's not odd. It's odd for an eagle to walk around. It's not, it's not odd that people in the world act like they're in the world, that people in darkness act like they're in darkness. There's nothing odd about that. What's odd is that people in light act like they're in darkness. It's not odd when you go to a funeral and you see a corpse in a casket. That's not odd. It's odd when you who are alive stay down and act dead for 24 hours. That's odd. So, it's not odd that people in darkness act like they're in darkness. It's odd when people in light act like they're in darkness. So, what Jesus says and what he says through Paul here is hey, you guys are light. So, be light. Walk as children of light. He says this do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, Even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. We talked about that temple of Serapis, the secret things, the temple of Artemis, the temple of Isis, which was over there. There was several more. He says it's disgraceful to talk about these things. They're doing things in the darkness, but here's what he says: you don't participate in these things. You expose them. Mm -hmm. How are they exposed? Do you like start a blog? letting everybody know what's going on. I'll tell you what exposes the darkness, people living as light. You know why? Because people don't realize it's darkness until they see something else. They don't even realize it's dark until they see somebody walking in the light and they go, whoa, really? This, this is the difference? Your light exposes darkness. You don't need to write 15 books on the darkness. You need to live in the light and the light will expose the darkness. Now, there's a time for calling it out. There's a time for saying it. There's a time for speaking against unrighteousness. But let me tell you, the greatest evidence, the greatest conviction that that's dark and this is light is by you demonstrating the light of the gospel. Right? Because you could sp- you'd go to school and learn all the counterfeit bills that are out there. Or you could find out what the real thing looks like and you'd know the counterfeit. He says this, and we're wrapping up here, guys. He says... All things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, that's wastefulness. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In a dark, twisted city, the gospel won. It grew and it prevailed. And for the gospel to win didn't mean that everybody suddenly got on board, but it did mean that it, it, it changed the city. Yeah. And this is the instruction for people in a dark city, in a dark culture. Be light. Mm-hmm. Be aware of those things that you didn't even notice before. Listen, to these Ephesian Christians that came out of paganism, they wouldn't have even known what they were doing was bad. They wouldn't even known it was wrong until they were told Till they were shown. He says, you guys got to get that out. You, you can't have any part of it. You know, there's, there's a school of thought that says we should never really tell people not to do things because that's legalism. But, you know, like, if they have the love of Jesus and the grace of God, they'll just naturally know. But that's not always the case. Because here, he has no problem saying, stop doing this. Guys, don't do this. Instead, do this. In Ephesians 4, he says, let the guy who steals stop stealing. But instead him work with his hands so that he has something to give to the one that has need. See, God is not just interested in keeping you from the bad behavior. He wants to give you the tools so that you live out the light that's in you. And I want you to know today you are in the midst of a dark culture, but you are, as it says in Philippians, like stars that shine in the universe. And we've got to hold fast the word of life. And I want the word of the Lord. I want them to say, so the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing in Lloyd Minster. It's growing mightily. It's prevailing in the Lord minister. But it's got to grow mightily and prevail in me. And what it, what's going to cause it to prevail is people stepping out of darkness in delight and awaking. Waking up and saying, the time has passed for me to live like that. I used to live like that, but it was dark. I didn't know any better. Now I know. And I'm not just going to not live in darkness. I'm going to walk in light. We said this before, but the, you know, Peter didn't say of Jesus. And Jesus went about not doing anything bad. It says Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were pressed by the devil for God was with them. Here's what God's saying to you. Not just try not to do what they're doing because what they're doing is bad. Walk as light. Demonstrate the glory of God. Demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Demonstrate the love of God. With everything we do, demonstrate Jesus. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And instead of being drunk like they get drunk, instead of being drunk like they get drunk, you be filled with the spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make melody with your heart to the Lord. Instead of going out and, and, and practicing sexual immorality, impurity, greediness, instead give yourself to the kingdom of God and trust that God is, is your source in everything. That you don't have to act or live like they live. That you can burn your old way of life and embrace his way of life because now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and when the light comes, it will expose some dark things. We know one thing about the Ephesians because Jesus wrote them a letter many, many decades later. And he said, you've left your first love. What does that tell you? This church, when it started and it was growing mightily and prevailing, was known for their love. Mm-hmm. I pray that's what we're known for. Yes. Amen. We're known for the light. We're known for love. Not just in this gathering, but all over this city that believers would see the gospel prevail. Grow mightily. Grow mightily. What does grow mightily mean? I mean, like it spreads. Paul said to the Thessalonians, pray that the word would run. Pray that it would run, spread like wildfire, and prevail and win. And I believe this is what it looks like when it wins. The light gets lighter, and people begin to make a choice. I can't live neutral anymore. I can't ignore this anymore. I have to choose. I have to choose, do I believe this or reject this? That's a good place to be in, because that's, Thank God Jesus has his arms open to the world. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with my loving kindness. Mm -hmm. This is the reality of life with the Spirit of God. Can we stand up and pray together?